Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. On your way down, just tell your neighbor you're glad that they're here. Glad to be sitting next to you. Good to see your face. Glad you're healthy. Mark, will you hand me the pulpit? Thanks, friend. beautiful. We continue our series in Philippians. The fourth message of our 16-week series As you may know, we're a church who believes in preaching the whole text in context, so there's no pretext. We don't cherry pick. We tell the whole story, and we do it with a lovely, lush, atmospheric musical background. Amen? Help me thank God for the band. I didn't tell you to leave because I didn't want you to leave. I was really enjoying that the whole time. It feels so spiritual when you guys play. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up in our series in Philippians, our series called Joy in Pain, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi from prison, that is marked as the most joyous of all of his letters. And today's message, we're gonna read just four verses, Philippians chapter one, verses 27, 28, 29, and 30. And the title of today's message is a strange invitation. Philippians 1, 27. It reads like this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. A strange invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that through the Apostle Paul, you penned words that would transform our way of thinking, our way of living, and ultimately our destination. Father, I ask right now that you would break down every barrier, the spirit of lethargy, the spirit of bitterness, the spirit of resistance, the spirit of skepticism, that you would bring those walls to the ground that we might hear from you with an open heart, that we might receive from you with a ready mind to be transformed, regenerated, and redeemed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We seal this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Messiah, and all that agreed said amen. 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 The big idea for this message today is you have a date with destiny. Uh, It's going to be challenging. I've been to a lot of churches. I grew up in a lot of churches where destiny was talked about often, purpose, who you were created to be. And it's a biblical conversation. 
It's okay to talk about who you're made to be in the name of the Lord. When Samson is born, his father inquires of the angel of the Lord and says, what shall his manner of life be? Like, what's he born to do? It's okay to ask the question about destiny, about fate, about calling. But we sometimes mess it up and think that everybody is called to great, bright, glittery lights. I mean, how many of you have been to any gathering of believers and it feels more like a motivational speech than it does like the glorious gospel? We all leave the congregation in Sunday service feeling like, are we all about to be rich? This is great. I've never been so rich among so many rich people. It's true, each one of you has a destiny. It's not true that each one of you's destiny will be beautiful. Today's message is going to be hard. And I don't mean hard in that I'm here to hurt your feelings, but hard in that I'm here to tell you the truth about how hard life is. Some of our destinies are difficult. Some of the legacies of the stories of men and women that we tell are less about what they accomplished and more about what they endured. Some of the greatest autobiographies that you'll ever read, some of the most compelling narratives of people throughout history has not been about what they achieved, but what they suffered through and suffered through. Today we're going to talk about that from a biblical perspective. And it's important that we do this so that you know that church talks about all issues. I don't want you to come to church and hear me talk about the breakthrough and the getting out when Paul clearly talks about the stuck and the staying in. It would be wrong of us to only talk about the day your pain will end when some of us have been sitting in the same pain and are clearly trying to understand how to deal with pain. I called this message The Strange Invitation because when I read it, I got excited. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I tend to read the Bible in chunks. I try to do those reading plans where you just sort of devour a lot of it. And then when I go back and study, every time I study, there's always something new. When I was preparing for this series in October and November, I was reading this and I remember, you know, reading Paul Wright to the, to the Philippians saying, live a life worthy of the gospel and live it together side by side. And I was like, yeah, esprit de corps, let's take the hill. And then he was like, and then suffer. And I was like, whoa, no. <laughs> but Paul is um, nothing if not an authentic leader. And I think that's what we all deserve is just the opportunity to tell each other the truth from time to time. This invitation is going to be broken up into three parts today. I'm going to talk about the invitation to receive the gospel. I'm going to talk about the invitation to believe the gospel. And then we're going to talk about the invitation to suffer for the gospel. You can't have one without the other. First, let's look at the beginning of this scripture. An invitation to receive. Verse 27, primarily just in the A part of the text. Paul writes and he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or I'm absent, I hear good of you. 
He's writing to them to say, be worthy of receiving the gospel. And I know that sounds weird, like we're towing the line of like earning the gospel. But he's not talking about earning the gospel. He's talking about proving the gospel. My sons train for football in the offseason. They, they're uh, athletes, and they, they're convinced they're going to go pro, which is awesome. Um, we're 5'8", fellas. I don't know what to tell you. But they're strong, so who knows? So every, in the offseason, they train at this uh, facility that, that works with kids, uh, teenagers, and, and, and it focuses on football training and recruiting and introduces them to coaches. And so I, like so many dads from all of the metro area, drive every day to this training facility in Parker, and then I sit in the parking lot while they sweat and yell at each other. And, and usually I read. I, I spend the time reading, but sometimes I get, I get bored. And this last week, I, I just didn't feel like reading, so I drove... I drove to Target, and do you ever wander in a store just for, like, just to waste time, right? No intention of buying. I'm just wandering around. And isn't it weird when you do that, and then you leave? You're, like, afraid they think you're stealing, and so you're, you're like, nothing's wrong, which makes you look like you're stealing, right? (laughs) Don't worry. I don't have anything. So in an effort to avoid that, I went to Target, and and I just bought a pack of gum, and I, just so they knew it was on the up and up. And I bought this little pack of gum. And I swiped my card. And um, she said, thanks, here's your receipt. And she handed me the receipt. It was like a full two and a half feet long. And I remember thinking, like, there's more paper (laughs) in that receipt than all of the packaging in this gum. I should have said no. And I started to look at it because I kind of freaked out about this long receipt. I was like, what? You know, it says right here, I bought this gum for $1.89 and then I paid it and that was it. And that section was just this big. And then there was this whole litany of like barcodes and invitations and secret clubs I could join. I just kept looking through it. So many options. I didn't know the target I could could work there. And it it was awesome. What I realized is that it had all of these pieces of information, but it started with the primary and most important piece of information, which was proof that I bought the gum, right? So that I could leave without fear of being tackled, amen? That receipt means that I can come back to Target whenever I want and prove that I bought that gum if it's defective, assuming I haven't chewed all the gum, amen? The receipt is proof that I did my part, right? The receipt is proof that the gift was paid for. I hope you see where I'm going. You see, the proof of whether or not I got the gum righteously is that receipt. And when Paul writes to the church in Philippi, what he's saying to them when he says, live a life worthy, is he's not saying live so that you can earn Jesus. He's saying You have Jesus. Live like it. That's the argument that he makes to them, and I might just say it right to you, right to your face. Like, you're saved, right? Prove it. Like, how many people know you that don't know that Jesus is your king? How many people know you inside and out but would be so freaked out if they saw you, hands up, you deserve it. They'd be like, what are you doing? And the reason that there's a disconnect for so many of us is because Paul might say, 
not proving it. Like it's here, but you have no receipt. Like you just walked out with the gospel and hoped to miss those security cameras. He says, here's an invitation to receive. Walk worthy. The original translation of this letter to the church in Philippi, he says, have conversations that show that you demonstrate the gospel. A better translation says this, be citizens of heaven first. So that when you meet people, they know, here comes Jesus Joe. Right? One of our pastors, his name is Bill. Before he was Pastor Bill, we all knew him as Bible Bill. Because everyone who met him, and he was friends with people from all walks of life, knew he knew and loved the word of God. He was Christian no matter who he was around. Upstairs right now is John Chavez. He's running security for us. People that know him know him as Jesus John. Because no matter where John is, even if it's getting a hot dog at a Home Depot, he's going to talk to you about Jesus. No matter who he's around or what the circumstances is, are, he lives a life worthy of the gospel in deed, in word, in action. He's demonstrating who Jesus is. Paul writes to the church and he says, look, things are going to get difficult. And if you really have Jesus, prove you have Jesus by the way that you walk. And then there's this little line at the end of verse 27 there that I think is important. He says, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent. He's trying to explain to the believer Remember that these letters, the epistles of Paul, are, are doctrine for believers. It's a conversation between people who already claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's a furtherance of our doctrine so we can better learn how to live it out. He's saying to us now through these words then, even when there's no pastor or leader around, be saved. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I have people come to my house to do work because I'm not handy. Amen. I'm serious, like if the light switches out, I'm like, we need to call somebody. <laughs> Just flip it, dude. <laughs> I have people come to our house and, and I get an opportunity to walk through life with people from all walks of life. And there's one uncanny experience that I get to encounter almost every day. And I think every pastor can attest to this. It's that people will curse in front of me and then apologize to me, right? They'll say, Ninja! oh, sorry, pastor. And I'm like, brother, I don't, I'm not God. You, you say, you say sorry to him, right? He's mad at you. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't mind. You don't have to apologize to me and you don't have to change for me. That's, that's who you are. Be who you are. The apostle writes to us as believers today and he says, make sure you're not the kind of person who has to switch when a pastor or leader is in the room. You know how you were when you were a little kid and you were all foul-mouthed at school, but when you got home, you're like, yes, mother, yes, father. You were just always on your best behavior. Paul's writing to the immature Christian and saying, make sure it's Jesus all the time, every time, live like you're saved. Whether there's a leader in the room or not. And here's why. Because in many rooms, 
You're the leader. Mm, too hard to grasp, right? See, we're always looking to find out who the spiritual leader is in the room. As Christians, we want to want, know who's in charge. Subconsciously, we're asking ourselves, who's holiest? <laughs> the answer should be you. Shouldn't be me. People shouldn't come here and go, who's the pastor of this church? They should be led by you to church because they know that your relationship with God is so in-depth, so vibrant, so full of life, that they can lean into you and seek counsel from you, that you have wise advice that would help them through life's storms, both good and bad. That's what he's talking about. Live a life worthy and lead others to do the same. He says, that's your invitation to receive the gospel. Be a receipt of the gospel. What I love about this is that he, he clearly tells us not to, be, not to believe, not to receive, not to be Christian as sort of a show so that other people believe us, so that, so that leaders think that we've got it all together. He says, be like that no matter what. And then he explains it at the end of verse 27 and in 28. He says, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, so that I might hear that you're standing firm, ready, in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And right here, the apostle not only makes an invitation to receive, he makes a beautiful invitation to believe. He paints a picture of what it really and truly means to be a Christian. He says it's, um, it's togetherness. You see, we live in a world today where much of our messaging that comes to us through marketing, through media, through literature, through art, and yes, even through the church, talks about the North American ethic of individualism. We call it rugged individualism, what I can do all by myself. But I want you to understand, Christian believer, you, you hold a faith that is Eastern in tradition. Our faith was birthed in the East which meant this is not a conversation about you all by yourself, but about you, collective, us. Paul says if you really want to be a believer, then be a collective of believers. I think it's important to consider that um, the collective of believers is the most powerful unit by which we walk out our faith, and, and it's from the collective of believers that, that our leaders are supposed to come out of. Right now, if you'll pray with me, we're believing God to hire a next generation pastor as a church. Bobby and Michelle Claire, who've served so diligently leading our Spark and Stoke children and youth ministry, are, are moving this summer. And it's an awesome blessing that they're getting to go move down not far, Colorado Springs. But in their stead, we're, we're in the need of hiring somebody. And heretofore, everyone who's on staff at Beacon has come up through Beacon. It's been awesome. Everybody who works for Beacon has sort of joined Beacon. Ask Pastor Ty. He and I sat down, and, and I was like, brother, I can't wait for you to you know, join us, but here's the deal. Just come to church for a season. And he was like, absolutely. I don't really want to work anymore. I just want to rest. And he would come, and, and, and Janine would come, and their kids would come, and they would worship and be a part of the fellowship. And then the Lord did what the Lord does in community, which is he yoked our hearts together. And one day we both had the same conversation. I was like, I'm feeling. And he was like, I'm feeling. And it happened. But with this next generation pastor, we just don't have that person in the room. Or at least God hasn't identified them yet. 
So we're getting ready to hire. And I, I'm, I have this job posted on all these job boards, and we're paying to recruit. And I don't know if you've ever hired people, but that's not fun. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of apps. One of them was a truck driver, <laughs> and he was 78. And I was like, that's our guy right there. That is... <laughs> It's been really hard for me to hire out because God's best model actually for developing, training, sending, and equipping leaders is to develop them from within, from the ground up. That's why when Pastor Bill gets ready to transition and go to Baltimore next year to plant his church called The Level Place, much of the vision that he'll be carrying has been fostered and development, d developed amongst us. It, 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 he walked in as a lay leader, project manager for the city of Aurora with a heart to serve in the kingdom and piece by piece began to learn how to do this thing, how to love people, how to hold each other accountable, how to grow in his own personal maturity and then hold others to the same standard. And then from that collective community, stands a leader who's ready to send and start a new collective community. And that's why Paul says, it, whether I'm here or not should be of no consequence to you. Each one of you should be leading each other. And the way that you do it, he says, the way that you do it is one mind, side by side. I think it's important that we, we don't skip over this part. We're a really diverse church. Isn't it awesome? We have some full-on right-wing, bright red hat. So there we go. <laughs> Bear with me for a second. Telegram using people. Okay. And then on the other side, we have some people who are, who are as diametrically opposed to that way of thinking as you could get. And we have a whole panoply of people right through the middle. We have people from all walks of life, socioeconomic backgrounds, race, creed, and color, faith traditions. I mean, it's amazing what God has done here. But we cannot simply celebrate diversity and say that's enough if we don't understand that it is what ties us together that matters most. Most, hear me, okay? Because we can't be a bunch of people who from all walks of life just happen to agree barely on Sunday morning, amen? We have to be so aligned on the main thing that all those other things, and hear me, they're not the main things, they can fall away. Put like this, we need to major on the majors and minor on the minors, right? That's why the Bible says we need to stand firm with one mind, Paul might say it like this, I came to preach Christ and him crucified. That's the one mind. And if that's the one mind, if that's what we hold on to, if that's what keeps us in line, it means that no matter how different we are, how strange and how unique the person who's locked arms with you is from you, it's of no consequence because he who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world. And he's in you and you and you. Let's go. Amen? But we have to hold on to that. In the church, we used to call it assimilation. It's how we bring us all into one body. Then there was a critique against the church saying you can't, you can't call it assimilation because that, that means that you're going to whitewash those who are different. Why don't we stop complaining about the whole thing? 
Amen? And why don't we just say, look, here's the deal. You're so different. That's so rad. We're going to vote way different on Sundays, yes? I mean on Tuesdays, yes? Totally. But on Sundays, everything's going to be the same, yes? Good, let's make that matter most. And here's the beauty. That's the number one thing that's attacked in the church. Did you know that? Did you know it's not the church's finances? Not the Global C. No, the Global C church has money. It's going to be just fine. Our church will be funded no matter what. It's, it's not whether the worship is good. It's not the production. It's not how many venues we've been in. None of those things are attacked anywhere near the unity of the believers. Because the enemy knows that if we unite in one mind, striving together side by side, well, here's the promise. He says, if you're firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side with the faith of the gospel, then you won't be afraid of anything. I could use that. Amen? Could you use that? Because I have some days where I'm not going to lie to you. I'm kind of afraid where I get worried, where I get fearful, where I'm anxious about what's to come. And that's a trick of the enemy. But God didn't give you the spirit of fear. He gave you power, love. And so Paul writes and says, sound mind, you want that? Share one mind. That's how we achieve it. That's how we resist fear. So the enemy comes in to a church, to a body of believers, and he creates a spirit of dissension, a spirit of disunity, so that people feel alone, so that their differences are bigger than their similarities, so that what yokes them falls to the ground, so that what divides them makes the most noise, so that they are filled with fear and rendered incapable. Paul says, oh, if you could only know who you are together, you'd be fearless. And then here's the best part. You wouldn't be afraid of anything from your opponents. And that fearlessness is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. I might just put it like this. A bold and public faith lived with others will expose you and your enemies. Here's what I mean by that. If you live like you're demonstrating the gospel, if you live a life worthy of the gospel, proving that Jesus is your king, and you do it with other believers, everyone is going to know you're saved. And that should be what you want. But let's be honest. That isn't what most of us want. I mean, most of you do not wear a t-shirt every day of the week that says, Jesus saved me, right? I mean, you, you don't have giant letters on you. you. Most of us don't have every conversation with every single person, including the bank teller or the gas attendant to say, do you know Jesus? I want to tell you about Jesus. We simply do not live like that. Amen? It's quiet. So I, I'm just, I'm, either you're convicted or you're way off base. Which one is it? Okay. Most of us don't live so public in our faith. And the apostle knows that. He says, you need to live public with your faith. Prove that Jesus is your savior. Live a life worthy. The best way to do it is to do it together so you're stronger and not afraid. And the moment that you do, it will show the world that they are doomed and you are saved. You said, whoa, pastor, I don't want to tell people that they're doomed. 
No, I don't want you to do that either. <laughs> Have you met the people at Beacon? <laughs> They're mean. It's not that you want to speak doom and gloom to them, but you want to speak truth and life to them. And you can't speak life to someone lest they know they're dead in their sin. How could you tell somebody that Jesus is the way to eternal life when they think they're living their best life now? And if you celebrate that, if you tolerate that, if you let that go and then you say, but Jesus gives more, they'd say, what's more than this? You don't live any different than me. Your job is to demonstrate the faith. You know the song, This Little Light of Mine. But this little light of yours, well, does it shine? I mean, it, it shines sometimes, but is it always shining? That's why the second part of that verse you teach kids, hide it under a bushel. That's it. Got to remind each other, do not hide in the faith. Shine in your faith. And when you do, people are going to see it and they will be forced to reckon, reckon with the fact that you have something that they do not. And it will either invite them to this conversation or it will provoke persecution. Two things. That's the outcome of public faith. They'll either be witness to or they'll turn on you. Doesn't that sound fun? Paul says, it'll be a sure sign of their destruction, but your salvation and that from God. Verse 49, he makes an invitation to that persecution, an invitation to suffer. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It's interesting. Our God is a generous God, right? I mean, he's a giver. He gave me a second chance at life just this month. He gave Chanel and I full custody. He gave me Chanel. Come on. And if you've met her, you've been like, oh, no, that's a gift. <laughs> you did not earn that. That's for sure. He's a giver. He's good. He's good all the time. The Bible tells us every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. That implies that he, he not only gives you everything, but everything he gives you is perfect. And yet Paul writes here, for it has been granted, given to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe him, but also, also suffer for him. God's good, and he's generous, and he gives. He gives us Jesus and the power to believe him. But he also gives us suffering, and he calls it a gift. And I think it's important that we talk about that to close our time together today. Um, if you've ever given someone a gift um, and, then, and then seen them light up 
when you give it to them. Have you ever done that? Christmas time, you just, you got them some. I'm just, I'm looking at Brett and I'm, rem- I'm remembering, Brett is colorblind. Eh, I just call you out. And so am I. <laughs> so am I. And Brett has those colorblind glasses. And, and, and someone he cares for gave him those glasses. And he was wearing them one time. And he was like, here's those, uh, dude, I, here they are. He's kind of doing your pose, you know. And I'm like, well, let me, let me see them. And, and he, he gave them to me. And, and, and I, I was kind of skeptical, you know. And I put them on. And I took them right off. And I, you remember this, Brett? We were in Arvada. We were at the gas station, right? And I took them off. And I was like, Wait, is this what people see? And he was like, I know, dude, isn't it crazy? I had him on, and it was just this moment where I just, I cherished his gift. And I recognized how much he cherished his gift. I mean, he loved to wear them and to see and to take advantage and utilize this gift that was given him. And I can only imagine, you've been there before, you give somebody that you love something that they end up loving, and every time they have it, your heart just fills, doesn't it? You're just like, I hit the mark on that one. Yes. Have you ever given somebody a gift and then you've never seen that gift before? Like ever again, like you just, you're like, here you go. And they're like, great. And then it's, oh, and you're positive they re-gifted it to someone else. (laughs) That hurts, huh? I wonder how many times God feels that way about some of the gifts he gives us. Because there are some gifts he gives you and you just, you just cherish it, right? And there's a few things he's given you and you just avoid it. Like suffering. That's why as we, as the church, we, we always preach against suffering. He's going to make a way out. Don't you worry. Your season's almost over. This too shall. And Paul says, wait a minute. Hold on. Why are you in a rush to get away from the gift? I have to talk about this today because it it is true. Every one of us at some point will suffer for the sake of Christ. For some of you, it may be in the form of direct persecution for your faith. You might share it and be ostracized, ridiculed, or hurt. Some of you might be discriminated against because of your faith. Or or you might be left out because people think you're the godly person. One of the people in my small group says, my whole life I just grew up as the Christian girl. She's like, now I'm a doctor and they still call me the Christian girl. Many of us will suffer for the case of Christ in a myriad ways. Sometimes direct persecution and sometimes it's just in the loss of someone you love who wants to avoid you because they're sick of you in church. Sometimes you suffer because this is a fallen world full of sin and the enemy uses sin to hurt us. I want you to know today that all of that is seen by God. There's not a moment you've wept or a tear that has fallen from your face when the Lord hasn't been ever present with you and the Holy Spirit hasn't comforted you and that Jesus hasn't had a plan for you through that. The reason that most of us miss what good can come out of bad 
is because we don't receive the gift at all. We reject it, we ignore it, we run from it, and we pretend it's not real. Can we talk about this for a second? Some of us come from histories and legacies of learned behavior from our family of origin or even longer. And it's pain that's deep and needs to be remedied. And you, like your father and mother before you, just ignore it and run from it. Some of us are suffering from deep emotional disturbances that require that we spend time in earnest, authentic conversation with a therapist who can help us process this. And because that seems too daunting, we pretend we're good and we suffer day in and day out. Too many of us have built up walls so that no one else can see us for who we really are Then we wonder why we feel so alone all the time. And we suffer, but we fight what God can do in the suffering. About four months ago, I taught for the very first time in this church about the power of the lament, meaning just that, that blessed chance that you and I get to like sit in pain. Fellas, I'm going to talk to you for a second because my ladies know sometimes you need a good old-fashioned cry right? My wife will be like, I'm just going to cry right now. <laughs> right? I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> and we as fellas, we get so weirded out by that. We're just like, we get nervous. We're like, you want water? What do you need? Like, this is, I'll put on this is us. Can I fix it? What's going on? Stop crying. There's something about some people that just know I just need a moment to feel this. And to let it wash over me, to grieve, to lament, to loss, to pain, and to be vulnerable. Because sometimes, mm, I might even say all the time, when you're at your most vulnerable, he's at his most clear. Have you been there? So many times I have people say, Pastor, I just can't hear him. I'm like, cool. Are you vulnerable? Are you honest? Do you let yourself be weak? He's loud in those moments. But the tendency is to run, to ignore it. I was moved this week by um, the reports of the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, I don't know his politics, but um, he's posting videos from downtown Kiev with his cabinet, like straight up selfie videos. And he's like, we ain't going nowhere. Ray said, gangster. <laughs> like, dude, that's OG. He's in the middle of an invasion against his country, and he says, we're not going anywhere. Every man in my country stay put. We're getting guns. We're fighting. And then, because it's the custom of any sovereign nation, his council gathered around him and said, we've prepared a plane. It's time for us to evacuate you. That's what you do with heads of state in times of conflict, specifically invasion like this. And he said something I wish that each one of us could say in our own earnest conversation about our faith. He said, I don't need a ride. I need a gun. 
And I was like, I feel like I'm about to join the Ukrainian army right now. I don't know who that dude is, but I'm on his team. He said, I know it looks bad and it's terrible and I'm scared, but I'm not leaving this fight because I got something bigger inside of me. He kept saying this thing. He kept saying, glory to Ukraine. And I remember thinking, that's the wrong place to glory, but he's got the right idea. He said, I'm going after glory and I'm not worried about fear and I'm not worried about ridicule or persecution. I'm not giving up. I'm not leaving. I'm not quitting. I'm standing firm side by side. I wish some of us had a faith like that. I wish you had a body of believers around you where you could shoot your own selfies and say, devil, we ain't going nowhere. And when someone says, you're suffering, you need to medicate, come out with us, ignore it, blow some steam off. You said, I don't need a ride, I just need a sword. Come on, somebody. Paul says he's inviting you to suffering, ready, for the sake of Christ. Vladimir Zelensky is fighting for the sake of Ukraine. But you fight for the only kingdom that will reign forever. Hear me. Your victory is guaranteed. But you don't yet fight like you know that. You fight like you're worried you're about to lose. And Paul says, sit in this moment. Receive the gift of suffering. Stand firm together. Share this faith with one another. Don't you dare be afraid of what the enemy throws at you. Live like you have Jesus. And then one day, when you're standing before the throne of grace, and all you can see is the bottom of the Father's robe, and the white hot light that surrounds him. And you look to his right, your left, and you sing the anthem to Jesus. Hallelujah. You have won the victory. Hallelujah. You have won it all for me. Death could not hold you down. You are the risen He looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. 
You've received every gift I've given you. It is well-pleasing to me to spend eternity with you. That's why he gives the gift. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we want all the good gifts. We don't want the hard things. But your word tells us that you give us the gift of suffering for the sake of the gospel. That in us and through us, others might see that there is a power greater than the world has to offer. Father, help us to embrace the gift of suffering, to sit in it, to feel it, to trust you in it, and to be moved through it so that your gospel is advanced and that hearts are healed and soul saved. God, give us the courage to live like we're saved too. Give us the peace to live in unity together. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand on your feet? Let's worship once more.